This week on Art in the Air features Ohio-based still-life artist Brian Burt, whose photorealistic oil paintings often feature whimsical portrayals of food and kitchen implements. Our spotlight is on South Shore Art's documentary photography exhibit, This Is It, with curator Linda Dorman, a human-centered view of us, opening November 4th with a reception on November 17th. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself your heart, and show the world your heart. Welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM and WVLP 103.1 FM. Our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air is heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming at WVLP.org, and every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, also streaming live at LakeshorePublicRadio.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art on the Air is available on our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our shows are available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for more information about upcoming shows and interviews. And we'd like to welcome to Art in the Air Spotlight from South Shore Arts, guest curator, Linda Dorman. She's going to tell us about their upcoming exhibit, which is real exciting. It'll be opening uh, November 11th and running through January 8th, and they'll have a reception on November 17th. It's called This Is It. She'll explain more about it. Linda, welcome to Art in the Air Spotlight. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Uh, hi. The, the exhibit is called uh, This Is It, A Human-Centered View of Us, and it's a group uh, photography exhibition of photographs taken by documentary photographers and street photographers. And these people are all very highly experienced, highly successful uh, uh, photojournalists, documentarians. One of the photographers in the show, for example, is Jess Dugan. They are a transgender artist and they photograph uh, aging transgender people. So there are all these portraits of these people who have been, you know, transitioned a long time ago and are living their lives, you know, doing things. And, and it's just a really great display of, of work with interviews that go with them so people can hear the voices of these people as well, you know, read about what they have to say. One of the other photographers is Mariah Carson. She's a Chicago photographer who photographed American Legion posts in towns with less than a thousand people. So these are very small towns that have their own American Legion posts. And she photographed these, you know, she spent a few couple years photographing and meeting these people and getting to know what the American Legion is really about and what the people that go to these, that are part of these groups, what they do in their communities. It's really Especially crucial in these small towns where they have so much meaning. 
Yeah, like just community. And Stephen Mark, he was actually one of my very first photography instructor when I was just starting out. And he works at Arizona State University. He's a professor there. And he just published a book called American True Colors. And he went all over the United States photographing protests and parades and community gatherings and things like that, and really inserting himself in all of these events. And he's just tremendous, really lively, beautiful photographs. And then Carlos Javier Ortiz photographed the families that are... um, affected by gun violence in the south side of Chicago. And he was very involved, you know, he spent years photographing these families and getting to know them and being a part of what's going on and helping them try to stop gun violence on the south side of Chicago. And then our last photographer is John Lowenstein, and he's a famous documentary photographer. He did a 20-year project on migrants, people coming from South America to the United States and what that's like you know, being a migrant and coming here and he became part of their families. He did a TED talk that has over 2 million views. It's just, he's just a fabulous photographer. And his work will be a project that he did. He lives in the South side of Chicago and he, and his work is more about what just daily life is like there with the, with the people and what it's been like, the people that he knows and has gotten to know and love. And and it's a really wonderful uh, group of photographs. So Linda, what came first? The title, This Is It, because it's read that it's based on Michael Jackson's album and so much of his music had to do with like calls for social change. So did you gather the artist first and then the name came to you or was it the reverse? It was actually the reverse. We were coming up with our sort of dream list of photographers that we wanted to show in this show. And then when we were talking about each of them and all the different things that they photograph, that came to our mind. I don't really know how. I mean, it just Michael Jackson has so many of his songs are very inspirational, like you said, and calling for social change and things. And and that's what these photographers are trying to do in their work as well. So it's just sort of like, it just made sense. And then Northwest Indiana and Michael Jackson and and it just... It's just loose. It's t- it's called This Is It. It was just sort of a nod to Michael Jackson. But it was when we thought more deeply about it, we realized that there's a really good direct link between the works. You know, uh, just briefly, uh, tell us a little bit about what documentary photography is versus other types of it, just for our audience to get the definition. You kind of did by describing what they do, but just give us a quick sense of that. Yeah, well, when when you're when you're learning to be a photojournalist or a documentary photographer, you learn you learn a lot about sort of a code of ethics in in photographing, and not staging things and not doctoring things and being true to your subject and being respectful and things like that. Those are things that people in journal- photojournalism and, and documentary photography are taught when they're, when they're learning their craft. And I think that that's really important in a day like in times like these to know that these people are, are really being very pure about what they're doing. And they're really giving us a view of things that we would never be able to see otherwise, you know, and it's, But in such a real context, which is what I like. It's like if I was standing there, that's exactly what I would see. It's not doctored. It's not posed. It's what's really happening in the moment. Yeah, it's just totally motivation behind it is very sincere and pure. And uh, it's it's, it's wonderful. We're, We're really excited about it. Well, real quickly, tell us when it is and where it is. And you have some other things that are attached to this going on also. So the exhibit dates are November 11th through January 8th. 
It, uh, the opening reception is Thursday, November 17th from 5 to 8 p.m. Um, we're going to have a panel discussion at the theater at the Center for Visual and Performing Arts on November 19th at 2 p.m. with uh, three of the photographers. And that would be a wonderful opportunity for people to hear them talk about their work. We're going to have a slideshow night, which will be open up to uh, photographers in the community. We'll be really, um, They'll be able to come and do a a little slide presentation of their work. And um, our guest host that evening will be Michael Zajikowski. He's the director of photography for Chicago Magazine, and he lives in Munster, so it's kind of perfect. And then we're going to have a talk with Mariah Carson about her American Legion project on Thursday, January 5th at 6 p.m. in the gallery, and she'll be able to talk about her project and working with veterans and, and all of that stuff. Well, we'd like to thank you for coming. Beautiful. Art in the Air Spotlight, Linda Dorman, guest curator for South Shore Arts and the gallery there. Thank you so much for coming on Art in the Air Spotlight. Thank you so much, Linda. Thanks, guys. And as a reminder, if you'd like to have your event on Art in the Air Spotlight or have a longer feature interview, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. We would like to welcome Brian Burt to Art on the Air. Brian is a classically trained artist who often transforms everyday objects into compositions that make you see things in a new way. To say that he is a realist, still-life painter, illustrator, doesn't portray the sense of fun and joy he infuses in his paintings. They are engaging and so delightful. Thank you, Brian, for joining Larry and I on Art on the Air. Aloha. Thanks for and having welcome. me. Welcome. Yeah, it's very, very wonderful. It's long really time no see. <laughs> very, very long time. <laughs> 2015, right? 2015, exactly. I, I feel <laughs> see, That's old. how memorable. That's how memorable. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember that booth completely. And I appreciate that. You know, back, way back in the days, like again, we're going to jump ahead just for a second. When I would do the shows, <laughs> every I mean, these shows, you come back once a year, every year you come back. And it's usually you're seeing these people for the first time in a, in a year. And I'd always get people that would come back to the booth and be like, oh, you're the donut guy. Or, oh, you're the cupcake guy. Or, oh, you're the guy that paints toys. I'm like, yeah, that, that's me. And I always appreciated that. So thank you. Yeah, but it's, yeah, that's an identifier, but the quality of your work and, and just like, again, the word that I used, it's just delightful and so memorable. You know, I, I go to shows all over the country and I collect a lot of cards, but, um, you know, and not to, not to say anything about other people's work, but I mean, I, you know, I haven't forgotten your work. So. I, I'm, I'm flattered. I, I appreciate it. So our audience will probably want to know a little bit more, like Esther already knows about you, Brian, um, your origin story. And I always like to describe how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us your story. Sure. So um, I've bounced around a bit. Um, I, I'm a Midwest guy, and I was born in Cincinnati. And I grew up around here. And uh, as here, I'm back in Cincinnati now. But uh, born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. And um Probably from the some of the earliest memories that I had, my dad would always tell people, this kid doesn't go anywhere without Legos or coloring books. And <laughs> uh, I, it's just one of those things where you're just drawn to something. And I think that everyone has propensities or um, leanings towards certain things. And my parents were always very encouraging towards um, me pursuing art and staying in it. 
My father was uh, a home builder when I was super young, became a salesman, and then went on to own a large plumbing wholesale company. So he was very much a the opposite of an artist. Uh, but having said that, he was always, always encouraging me to pursue it, but always to have business in mind, um, not to kind of ignore that. So growing up, I, from a very early age, and some people that are going to be listening to this, if you're young enough, you're probably not going to understand what the funnies are, the Sunday funnies. <laughs> we would get the paper, the Sunday paper, and it would be the huge section of comics. And now you can still get papers and they still do have a few comic strips. But back when I was a kid and I'm, I'm 46, when I was a kid, there was two, three, four pages of it from Dilbert to Peanuts to Farside, all of these comics. And I would sit down and I would copy them. I would just I would do my best to trace and copy what I saw. And I didn't know it at the point at that point, but that was kind of a foreshadowing of what I would be doing in my um, art career down the road. Um, Not necessarily copying, but basically comparative drawing and comparative seeing. So really early on, I started out and I was noticed or my teachers took notice of this and they always pushed me in directions because a lot of art teachers, especially when I got into fifth, sixth, seventh grade. A lot of my teachers, and I don't, I'm not saying this in a bragging way, but I could, they were just like, you can draw better than me. They they didn't have the tools. And and this is me putting it into an adult looking back at that time. I didn't really understand it, but they were basically saying, you need to go see this person, or you need to go take this class, or you need to go to this workshop because they really couldn't, (laughs) there was a point where they just couldn't help me anymore. They were like, you get this, you understand it. So So did they tell your parents, did they tell um, your parents this, Brian? No, no, they didn't. Oh, see, I always try to like the students that I, I always try to contact the parents and say, Ooh, this, there's like some innate wonder going on. I mean, I would say Probably actually later on, as I got into high school, they became, my teachers became more involved. I had a very great high school teacher, which kind of took me into my father, as he was moving out of construction, moved into kind of a sales and plumbing position. We moved to Indianapolis. He got a job that he basically, an offer that he couldn't refuse. So we moved to Indianapolis and I uh, was enrolled in a Catholic high school called Cathedral. It's the largest Catholic high school or one of the largest Catholic high schools in Indiana. Very old. Um, But we had a (laughs) an art teacher there named Barbara Valonis. She's no longer teaching there, but uh, she was uh, someone out of the John Heron School in Indiana. um, A really uh, talented painter and somebody who is extremely passionate about art. And from the very first art class I took with her, she was like, you're my guy. She's like, you're my shadow man, because I love drawing in in charcoal and drawing these really dramatic shadows. I I can remember drawing like hallway scenes and the figures and all of these casts that she would put up. And I love the shadows. I loved this really strong sense of light and dark. It was way over exaggerated, but she could see that I was seeing something there that a lot of students probably were just kind of glossing over this idea of creating three dimensions on this two dimensional space by using techniques and using knowledge of 
light and dark values, shadows. We weren't getting into too much color at that time. So Miss Valonas kind of really took me under her wing and put me into contact with, she basically got into contact with my parents and then they basically started putting me into um, different, um, different programs outside of school that would kind of nurture this and help me out. And kind of having jumped around, there is um, in, <laughs> in high school or in grade school, when I was still in Cincinnati, I had the opportunity to meet um, a young man who I went to school with. We were in the same grade together named David Wachter, who is to this day a comic book artist. He's a comic book illustrator at working on X-Men, Spider-Man, all of this stuff. I remember he was so much better than me, so much better. And it, it, I used to come home in tears to my dad because I was used to being the best, the best <laughs> at drawing. Nobody was close to me. This guy could blow me out of the water. He could draw things right out of his brain that I'm like, oh, that really taught me something there. That 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 um, competition and also learning that you're never, no matter how good you think you are, you are never going to be the best. There's always somebody better and learn from them. Learn from that. Don't get discouraged by it. Learn from that. So I'm still in contact with David today and he's, he's doing great work and he, and we're, we're very different in, in what we produce, but these little experiences and these people that I kind of, um, bumped into along the way of my life on this long, long career and long path kind of shaped where I went and how I went there. So having gone to uh, high school and in arts, um, I was always a BC student. I really didn't, if I'm going to be brutally honest, I know everybody is a straight A student. Oh, I'm like, every kid is a straight A student. Well, I was a BC student who I, I loved chemistry. I loved math. I love things that were physics things that you can get your hands around and deal with everything else. I was just like, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to sleep here. I, I really couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't figure out why I was here. And by the end of my four years in high school, I didn't have a lot of options. If I'm going to be brutally honest, I took the SATs and my SATs were off the chart, but my grades were, uh, so Miss Valonas, again, coming into my art teacher, knew somebody that was at Miami of Ohio that ran the art program over there and said, I've got somebody for you. And she talked to this man who talked to the associate provost, who basically got me in there on kind of a, a, a special slotted scholarship. So I went into Miami, <laughs> Miami of Ohio in Oxford on kind of a probationary period because my my SATs were great, but my grades were not where they needed to be. This was a fairly, it's a fairly high level school to get into. Um, and I made it through my first year, no problem. And then I got off probation. And, and this is kind of where I really started figuring out what I wanted to do. Mm. Because being a liberal arts college, you still had to take all of the perfunctory classes. I had to take religion classes. I had to take this class. I had to take this class. But I had a painting instructor who was um, named Christy Deal or Christy Dietz, who was in the 60s and 70s, a photorealist who had then become kind of more abstract. But this lady knew how to paint and she really understood techniques, materials. I really got lucky with her in that there's a lot of art instructors out there that simply don't. They they know what they can do and they're in their lane and that's it. Christy understood a lot of different things. So I was very lucky 
to have bumped into her um, and have her as an instructor. But I kind of realized that what was being taught in the paintings program at Miami was way too loose for what I wanted. I already had a vision of, I wanted to paint something that you could look at it and feel like you could reach in and grab it and pull it right off the panel. And that simply was not being taught at the paintings department. And again, someone bumped into me, saw my work and said, you know, you need to talk to Joe Cox. And I was like, who's Joe Cox? <laughs> he was the associate provost of the school, basically the number three or number four person underneath the, um, the president. And he taught illustration pro bono, wasn't paid for it, just loved it. He was an illustrator for Gibson, Hallmark, TWA, all of these big companies. And this guy could draw and this guy could really paint. And this is what he taught. So I immediately entered his class and um, realized I was woefully inadequate as far as everything drawing, color, all of it. He was just like, yeah, you need a lot of work. And he was blunt. He was, he was brutally, brutally honest. No problem telling you this is just not good. And he, <laughs> he would, if you were, if he found you working too tightly on a piece, like you're treating it like the Mona Lisa, he would come over and be like, okay, let me show you this. And he would grab the brush, put a little paint on it and go right across the whole entire thing. And then he would say, I want to see that in the end, incorporate that mark in the end, go. It's like, stop treating this like you're in a museum. You're here to learn things. It's, you know, you got to loosen up a little bit in order to get tight. So there were so many lessons that Joe taught. And at that time, and it may still be the case at Miami, you could only take two illustration classes and get credit for them. Just two. I took eight. I, I just kept going. I kept going back and back. And after my fourth or fifth, Joe was like, you realize you're not getting credit for this. I mean, no, this is not going to help you graduate. And I said, I, that's, that's fine. So he was uh, kind enough to write these off as independent studies. He basically uh, changed, changed the illustration to an independent study. And I don't know how he labeled it, but I ended up getting credit for uh, the last four, I think I took. So um, I owe him for that, but a lot of what he taught me held held true today. And I still use some of the lessons that he taught today. A lot of it though, like so many things in life, you don't realize until you're down the road. You, I didn't learn these things and think, Oh, I'm going to, I know exactly what I'm going to do with this, but it was kind of put in the cupboard and stored up on the shelf until I was ready to kind of take it back off the shelf and incorporate it into what I was doing. So that was four years at Miami of Ohio at that <laughs> This was a real, this was probably the turning point for me and which way I could have gone. Um, I knew what I wanted. Again, I always knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to draw and paint as realistically and representationally as possible. That didn't necessarily mean photorealistically, but it meant that I wanted it to be something that when it was on the wall, people would never say, I can do that or my kid can do that. I want people to <laughs> blown away by the technical expertise alone, not just the storytelling, but, or the object. I want them to just look at this and be like, whoa. And I was so far from that when I got out of college, I, I had to figure something else out. I, I, 
I knew that I could probably just keep spinning the wheel and get slowly and incrementally better. But I was lucky that there was this was a time in this country that um, representational art was starting to make a bit of a comeback. And there were multiple schools around this time that were one had already been there for the, a long time. There was one in California. There was the Art Students League in New York City. There was another atelier in the New York City area. And there were two in Minnesota. I had never been to Minnesota. I had no idea about it. I had no knowledge about this place. I knew it was cold and I heard it was cold. And at this time I'm with my future wife um, and we're, we basically decided to make this journey together and she's a metalsmith. <laughs> and so I say, well, we got California, crazy expensive, New York city, crazy expensive. Let's look into Minnesota. And in Minneapolis area, there was in the 80s and 90s, a school called the Atelier Lac, started by Richard Lack. And a lot of pretty good artists have come out of there. Mr. Lack had retired at this point, but two of his students, Sid Wicker and Dale Redpath, had taken the studio over. So I drove up there and there was another school called the Bougie Studio, which was uh, run by uh, Brian Bougie, another Richard Lack student. I met with both schools, showed that I brought them a portfolio that is kind of an interview process. Um, showed them portfolios and they both offered me positions. And I chose uh, Atelier Lac or the Atelier, which is Atelier School of Fine Arts, basically because they're, it was a lot larger facility. I liked both of the women that were teaching and running it. And it was just on a kind of a feeling. So we, uh, Packed up a U-Haul and moved out there during a housing shortage, which we literally <laughs> were talking to someone on the cell phone, on our new cell phones, out in the U-Haul, on the way up there, trying to secure an apartment. We did not have a place to move into. We fortunately were able to move into the Loring Park area in a studio, in quotes, apartment. And um, that's where I started my um, three-year journey at the Atelier, which... The Atelier School of Fine Arts is basically traditional realism. It is uh, has a lineage dating back into the late uh, 18th century uh, in France. And your studying and the methods that you're using are pretty much the same thing that they're doing that they were doing in the late 1700s. And that is the first four hours of your day. To, and I should say this. There's only 15 students at the school at one time. That's it. 15 full-time students. That's all. Wow. Get up and you are drawing from the live nude model every morning, Monday through Friday for four hours, or three and a half hours. The model has breaks. First year students are only allowed to be in pencil and charcoal. Second year students are allowed to be in charcoal and black and white paint. Third and fourth year students can go into color and scenes depending on what level they're at. It is, to say that it's regimented is a dramatic understatement. Um, from the types of charcoal that you're using, the type of pencils you're using, the paper that you're using, everything is, everybody is using the same thing. And that is done for a very specific reason so that everybody can learn from everybody. You're basically in this half semicircle around the live model stand 
And on your breaks, every, you know, it's 20 minutes, five minute break, 20 minutes, five minute breaks, or 30 minutes, five minute breaks. Everybody kind of backs off from their easel and then kind of walks around and just you're seeing what's going on. And if you have a question, you're talking to the other students. The instructors are there for maybe 20 or 30 minutes out of that session, going from easel to easel, helping, you know, the students and basically telling them what they're seeing and how to kind of correct what it is that you're you're doing. So you're basically learning how to draw and paint from the person on the left and right of you and from everybody. And it's kind of a a small community. And that was the way it was done. On top of that, you're being taught a very specific method of drawing, which is this is the thing that I took out of the, the atelier that I still use today. And that's the site to size method. Years ago, when I would tell people about this, they had never heard of it, but it's kind of made a comeback now. And if I was wanting to draw a portrait, I would set the easel up right next to draw or paint a portrait, set the easel up right next to my subject or slightly, slightly ahead of them. The head I am drawing exactly as I see it uh, onto the canvas. As I see it in life, it goes to the canvas. So I'm, it's difficult to describe it just without a picture, but imagine you're marking a piece of tape on the floor that is behind your easel. You're you're taking about four or five steps back, putting a piece of tape down. You stand on that, um, that tape and you're basically holding up kind of a line. That line basically is what, you know, you judge from the top and the bottom, you're making marks and this is how you get uh, widths, heights, and Site to size method is basically teaching you comparative drawing by and comparative seeing. So after a while of standing back and holding up that line or ruler, if you've done it for two or three years, you no longer need to see that. So you no longer need to see the the string or the ruler. You're basically seeing um, comparatively. It's just basically ingrained into your head. Um, so yeah, that I would say. After the atelier, we've kind of um, bounced out and uh, I started getting into uh, oil painting. Probably I painted for oils a couple of years after that. And then I moved into pastels. Those pastels kind of, I'm kind of speeding up here a little bit, moved into pastels and the pastels basically, when you work in pastels and dry media, you're basically working on the surface and just kind of bouncing around. Um, And then I've kind of shifted back to oil paints and the oil paints and the paintings that I'm doing now are really uh, started changing probably shortly after you saw me in 2015. Um, My daughter was born in 2010 and I've started painting um, in uh, 2020, 2009, I began doing a small blog called Art for Diapers. I would sell small (laughs) paintings, really quick studies, and I would use the proceeds of those to pay for kind of all the things that we were going to need for when Madeline was born. You're listening to Art on the Air with our guest today, Brian Burt, on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP, 103.1 FM. So, um... Pretty much I've taken still life and I've used it as somewhat of a journal. Um, I've used representational, highly representational techniques to create and paint 
her favorite toys, her favorite donuts, her favorite treats, cupcakes. As I'm painting now, we, we do a lot of cooking together. So a lot of the things that are being painted now are still lifes that are very much rotated around food. Um, the one that I have behind me is basically a, a painting of a jar of uh, <laughs> preserved hard-boiled eggs and beets with a uh, cookbook underneath it called Food in Jars. And it's, it's um, a great preserving cookbook. So a lot of the things that I'm doing now are basically based on um, my daughter's love of food, my love of food, because a lot of what I had to go, I cooked in a lot of kitchens. I worked in a lot of restaurants growing up and being in school. So a lot of that is, a lot of what I use still life for is kind of a, a, a detailed journey of my life. As you see them eight or nine years ago, compare them to now, you'll see kind of the subject matter is matured along with my daughter. <laughs> You're listening to Art on the Air with our guest Brian Burt on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM. It's amazing, really. I, I mean, like, I think it was brilliant. The art for diapers was just, um, you know, it's, it captures the imagination as well as um, it's just, it was just brilliant. Did you come up with that yourself or did you... I I did because again, and this kind of gets into the, um, we're at a kind of a time with painting that uh, it's, it's, I don't want to say a tipping point. I don't want to be that dramatic, but with digital media and so much of what's going on, you have to, as an artist, you can't just, you can't just be, I'm going to be good at painting and that's going to be, that's going to be it. That's just not, maybe that worked 20 or 30 years ago. And I kind of had to learn this the hard way. You have to make it relatable. You have to do something that is going to um, hit someone somewhere that makes them want to have this thing. What better than I'm at any, almost everybody either has a kid or knows somebody that has a kid. They can really understand um, this idea of, one, we need your money. <laughs> if I'm going to be brutally honest, we need, we're getting ready to have a kid. We need your money. But these things that I'm painting, I'm trying to tell stories and I'm trying to tell them in a way that not only is going to accomplish, get you from, I really like that painting to, I really want that painting, but gives you a story that you can hold on to and tell and something no one's ever going to hold up a, you know, an iPhone with a picture and be like 30 years ago, look at this. This, this means so much to me. <laughs> They're going to look at a painting on a wall and be like, I got this here. I talked to the artist and, and there's a story that is part of what I've kind of learned with this is that you're selling stories, not just paintings uh, and not just art, whether it's, you know, well, but the nostalgia, you know, when you add the nostalgia to your paintings, that's what you're, I mean, that's what you're capturing as well, that somebody's going to go, Oh yeah, I, I see that. And so the art for diapers also just gives you that extra, you know, you want it, you see it, but Oh, now there's a real, there's an extra reason to invest in this. Right. Um, and it, that's kind of, um, yeah, doing like the, the show that we, that you, you saw my work at at Krasl, that doing those shows taught me something. Again, this was kind of the, I had to do those shows and those shows were so important to me, not only just from a business standpoint and, you know, a marketing standpoint and meeting so many people, it was also taught me a really powerful lesson that, 
I talk to a lot of painters that say they're painting something and they're like, this is what this means. And this is what I'm trying to say. And I'm like, you're, you're, you're going to beat your head up against the wall because overwhelmingly whoever it is that buys that painting is not going to buy it for that reason. They're, they've got some, they are bringing something totally different to this painting that you could <laughs> never have counted on. And it's I, so I, I really can't think of a, a great example, but there have been <laughs> paintings that I've done of candies or something that my daughter loved. I, I stacked a bunch of candies up. My daughter loved these. And, you know, this was the, the story to me was my daughter loves this flavor of candy. She loves this particular one because we got it here. Yet the person that comes and buys it, buys it because my grandmother used to buy that for me. And it always makes me think of her. I love, I could have never thought of that. There's no possible way. So that really taught me about this kind of relationship between um, painter, artist, and viewer. And it's, it's Somebody even a, really you know, Brian, well. it's even a color. Somebody purchased something from me and it was just because of the particular shade of gray that was in it had evoked some memory that sure. had nothing Absolutely. to do with the subject or anything. It was like the, the quality of the color. Yeah. And it, it was, I wish I could remember who told me this because it was such a great quote. And I don't know if they were quoting somebody, but they said art being a painter is like sitting in a confessional. And if you're, you have a viewer that comes and sits down on the opposite side. Your painting is the little sliding door between you two. If your painting has done its job, it opens and you start to have a conversation. If it doesn't, the person gets up and walks away. And that's really, really good because that's truly what is happening. You can start out with an idea and you can paint it. Everything that I paint, I, I don't ever paint things because I think, wow, this is going to be... <laughs> This is going to really sell. People are going to really love that. Way back when, when I would try to do that, it was always, it never worked. Never worked. Those are the ones I held on to forever. And it's the ones that I'm like, oh, I don't know if anybody gone. They're like, you should have painted 20 of these. And I'm thinking, I was never good enough to figure that out. So <laughs> now it's just basically, I paint what is interesting to me. And I know someone somewhere will eventually relate to it in a way that maybe is close to what I was trying to say, or they have, they bring something else to it. And that's the best when you hear those stories. Brian, you shared so much about, and I looked at your work and it, at a glance, they look like photographs. I know you don't like maybe photorealistic, but they really are. You reach out and say, that's a real thing. Oh no, that's a painting. But I'm looking back to, now that with your experience, what advice would you give to a young artist, especially that wants to do representational art? I mean, uh, coming up now, what what's you, you told us your journey, and it's very unique, and, and that's very insightful, but what would you advise them? Yeah, I, again, and this is, I've given talks at, man, <laughs> I've given talks at a lot of different uh, art museums and high schools, and I've had this conversation with parents and this is a tough one. It's a really, really tough one for me to tell them because this is not what a parent wants to hear. But if you're a young artist or if you're maybe you're not in your teens, maybe you're already out, you have to find somebody that is going to shorten the distance for you. Unless you are um, a savant or you are just naturally because we, we live in a day and age now with you can get on YouTube and you can see videos and things like that. They're going to help you. Yeah. But being person to person and, and dealing with someone that actually has been down this road and understands it, you need to find somebody that is going to be able to shorten the distance from A to Z. 
And that doesn't mean that big of a hop, but painting doesn't have to be A, B, C, D, E. It can be A to D to F to M. But the first step is figuring out what it is you want to do. And I know that's incredibly hard for people, but basically asking yourself the question, what art moves me? And if this is, and if this particular type, if you're a painter, if this is the type of painting that moves you and you want to learn how to do it, you are in a day and age now where, like I said before, there were two, three schools at most that taught representational and realistic painting. There's probably 20 or 30 now in, all over the country. And there's more, um, more every year. They're, they're just popping up everywhere. Um, Art Renewal Center, which is a large artrenewalcenter.com, ARC.com, um, basically has a list of every school that is on their accepted kind of criteria to meet. Rep they are a classical realist type of organization, and you can get on there, find a school that's close to you or maybe not close to you, and find somebody that can help you. Going to a, most colleges are simply not going to teach what, what you're going to need to know. And you can do it on your own. It's probably just going to be a lot harder. Uh, I would say if you're if you're lucky enough to live close to somebody that is doing it and is more than willing to mentor you or be around you and kind of give you critiques and maybe push you in the right direction as far as techniques go, then absolutely don't try to do it on your own. There is no reason to reinvent the wheel. Right. But that this is the kind of thing that I tell parents is that this is an all in type of vocation. You <laughs> cannot do this halfway. And it's, it's hard for them to hear that, but you have to dedicate. I mean, for years, I was eight hours, nine hours a day in school studying this. And then I'd get off school and work a minimum wage job that paid nothing. And it's, it's no different than trying to make it an acting, trying to be a musician. This is going to be hard. If you can accept that and understand that, you're going to be fine. You, this can be done. And and actually that advice is so important because I remember my parents were like, oh, it's so it's so great that you're good at this art stuff, but and, and go ahead. But you have to have something real. And it would have just been, it, you know, that wasn't helpful yeah. <laughs> because, I, you know, it wasn't helpful. Yeah. And. and I'm not going to say, you know, don't have a backup plan. Don't, you know, it's, it's very romantic to say just uh, I'm, I'm swimming out there and I'm going to, if I either, I'm going to either reach the other end or I'm going to drown. No, it's, no, there is that. Nice no, to have something on the backup, but. Yes, I think but it can also be in the arts. It, it doesn't have to be banking. It can be in the arts as well. Right. right absolutely. And there are plenty of really great painters that are, that have taught. And, and, and now, especially with the internet, there's so many other avenues that you can use to supplement income. Don't get into it thinking that you're going to be driving a BMW or a Tesla in the, in the for the next you know, <laughs> two or three years. It, it's going to be hard. You're, you're going to, there's going to be some struggles. Those struggles are important. Those struggles are going to, what they're, they're going to, those things are going to, what they're going to teach you what you need to know. Um, if I just got all of the knowledge that I have like this, I wouldn't have appreciated it. Every time I get up to paint, it's difficult. I try to paint different things all of the time. That is what teaches me. That's how I learn. That's how I continue to learn. Um, I'm constantly trying to tweak things. I'm constantly adding 
um, new colors, new objects, new um, materials that I'm working on. Yeah. I have worked jobs where you're just kind of, um, you know, day in, day out doing the same thing. And it's, it's brutal. And I chose not to do that. And this is, you know, yeah, it's hard, but it's also rewarding in its own way. You're listening to Art on the Air with our guest today, Brian Burt, on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP, 103.1 FM. So about your materials, have you have you upgraded them since the beginning? Is there a different quality of your oh, paints yeah. that you use now than you did <laughs> before? And oh, yeah. Because I have friends who paint you. I, I get frequent emails from or messages from other artists asking me about things, and specifically colors and materials. So when I first started out, I had it was what I could afford. Um, the, the cheaper, the better. Uh, but now, so let's just say a tube of imitation cadmium you could get for like eight or nine dollars. Now I'm using Old Holland's, which is a really nice um, company. Um, and I'd say really expensive tube is 70 or 80 dollars. So yeah, the I don't skimp on because color is so important in my paintings. I don't skimp on the paints or the um, the panels that I paint on. I, I basically make most of the panels that I paint on and it, it's kind of an arduous process, but where I think a lot of people are um, slightly surprised is I use pretty cheap brushes. Comparatively speaking, the brushes that I use are, for a lot of artists, would consider it pretty garbage. Um, <laughs> but they're really cheap. But there are ways that you can use them that extend the life of them. Like, for example, you can go to an art store and buy a blending brush that is specifically for blending. That's what it's called. And it's 20 or $30. I use makeup brushes from target that women put on their face because <laughs> they're super soft and they're super nice. And they're made of a synthetic fiber. They work perfectly for like three or $4. You're listening to art on the air with our guest, Brian Burt on Lakeshore public radio, 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM. This is pledge week for your public radio station. And Art on the Air encourages our loyal listeners to support this station by making a monthly sustaining pledge so we may continue to bring you this great program. So um, a lot of the materials that I use, a lot of these, the setup that I use has come um, over years of testing different things um, from the panels that I work on uh, to the lighting setup to my easel setup. Uh, it's, I would say, to a point slightly different uh, than a lot of what traditional artists uh, work on. But uh, I'm kind of a, whereas a lot of people that have studied in the tradition that I've worked in contemporary and classical realism, they use a very set number of paints, a very specific type of paint. Um, they work on a, uh, uh, they use a palette that they hold, um, all of these things. I'm whatever works. I've met painters over the years and they say, hey, I use this. And I'm like, wow, that's an interesting idea. I'll try it out. And if it works, then that's what I'm using. I don't, I love, I love the attachment to history that I have uh, with my techniques and, and the original training, but I don't want to be chained to that. And I don't want, I don't want people to look at one of my paintings and say, wow, this is a classical realist painting and it must've been used at this and site size this. And I don't want that at all. I want you to look at the painting and either like it or don't like it. And how you got there is irrelevant to me. 
it's it's the final result that in the end you can i have musician friends and they say the same thing you can do all of these wonderful things to your music using computers and this and that if in the end the song doesn't sound good nobody cares <laughs> yeah they don't and so use what is going to work for you and there is no absolute set rule contrary to a lot of popular belief, especially with realistic painters. I mean, painter, there's a lot of classical realists that say you have to paint from life or you, you can't paint a really great painting from a photograph or from your imagination. It has to be from life. And I'm just like, that's insane. I, I, you know, Norman Rockwell painted from photos all the time. And I've seen his paintings in person and they're spectacular. Um, all the lights, I mean, they painted from imagination. They used... They paint from life here, imagination, and, and it, their paintings seem to be pretty good to me. So I'm not so hung up on materials or uh, techniques. I'm more hung up on end results. Just w what is it and how good do I think it is? How is your typical art day structured, your painting life? So I have a, uh, <laughs> my uh, daughter who started out with me, uh, Basically, my, we, we all, my wife, my daughter, we all get up at the same time and we all kind of work together to get my daughter out to the bus. As soon as she's on the bus, and that's usually around 7.20ish, I come downstairs. Uh, my studio right now is in the, the um, bottom part of our house. And that first, which I think a lot of people would probably be surprised by, the first part of my day, which is sometimes it can be up to an hour, is the digital part. Um, working on social media, working on the website, making sure everything that has been asked of me has been answered um, as, from, as far as emails, dealing with kind of the business side of things, um, especially these last couple of years, I've been more active in shows and more active in competitions. And I, I didn't realize how much work that would be kind of dealing with all of that and keeping all of that organized. This piece has to be shipped out here. This piece is coming back here. Do we have this label shipped out here? Is this been paid for? All of those things have, to, it's the business side of it. Um, and I know that's not really romantic and, um, but that's just kind of a part of painting that in art in general, that is never really taught in school, at least in any of the schools that I went to is the business part. The, and that, that is an absolute, unless you are independently wealthy or you have a secretary, which I am neither, <laughs> um, I have to do that. So for about an hour, I kind of work on those things. And then I kind of divide the day up into two parts. Usually the first part, first two or three hours is working on something smaller. Um, the smaller pieces I usually put up for auction or I'm selling them basically directly from the website those are kind of the bread and butter things. Um, they're five by five inch, six by six inches, eight by 10, smaller pieces. Uh, those are kind of, that's, that's a must. I ha and that's kind of what doing the um, art for diapers taught me is that those small paintings are very, and I don't, I don't want to make it sound like they are lesser than any of the larger works. They are an important part of my art life. They've taught me a lot. And I still love painting them. I love working on a very small, like sometimes I'll paint uh, just a piece of chocolate or I'll paint uh, an espresso cup. Those types of things are uh, really important to me to kind of focus on. And when you are focusing on one little thing, it's, it teaches you a lot. 
it kind of takes away a lot of the clutter. So I still do those things. Those two and three hour sessions in the morning are really important. Then I'll kind of eat lunch. Got two dogs. We'll usually let them out, take them for a walk, come back in. And then that's when I start on the larger pieces. And the larger pieces are uh, mainly for the galleries and um, the competition pieces. Um, And those require, just depending on the size of them, they can take anywhere from 40 hours to 80 hours to complete, uh, just depending on what's in it. And the more some of the paintings that I've been doing are things that have type in them, uh, way more complicated. And to get those things to appear like they are realistic and that you could pull them off the shelf or whatever, it takes a lot of time. So that's pretty much the, the day. Out of curiosity, do you work from photographs or do you set up like a model of your things or this just comes right out of your head? Nope. Basically, I'll set up the, the, whatever I'm painting is always set up from life. I'm basically, it's right in front of me. Though, depending on what it is, if you have perishable items, anything (laughs) that's going to rot, anything of flowers, I don't do a lot of flowers, but I do lots of foods. Donuts, which by the way, if you're painting donuts for anybody out there that wants to paint a donut, always get them from the big chain donut stores. I'm not going to name any names. Those donuts will last forever. (laughs) And I'm a donut fan. I love donuts, but I never eat those because I have had donuts on the still life stand for months and they don't change. And I'm not joking. So yeah, I set them up from life. But in the end, the way that things work, if I'm painting during the day and I can paint from life, then yeah, I'll paint from life. I always take reference photos of it so that I can work on the reference photos from the reference photos. So basically what happens, the evolution of a larger piece is I start from life, use photos, and about at the last quarter of the painting, I don't use anything. I'm basically standing back and looking at the painting and saying what's working and what isn't. And then I'm kind of going with my eyes and pushing and pulling things to what I think they should be. So you can really say that you are a working artist because that's a a whole day. And I think that's very informative for any of our artist friends of how to really uh, structure your entire day and everything uh, to get everything done. You know, we're about ready to wrap up here in about a couple minutes. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about upcoming exhibits uh, and things like that. And then even like your website and how people can find out about you. Sure. So you're probably getting towards the tail end of a couple of these, but I was uh, have two paintings that made it into the Hoosier Salon that's in Indianapolis, Indiana, and that is at the Indianapolis State Museum. On this Thursday, I am going to be uh, at the Oil Painters of America Eastern Regional Show, which is, again, they're holding it this year. It just worked out in Indianapolis. That's at the Willis Gallery, Fine Arts. Um, and then I've got a show... <laughs> a museum show that I have a piece that's going into in Richmond, Indiana. It's all in Indiana. I know it's right now it's, it's a lot of Indiana, but those are the three big ones that I, I, I've, uh, I've got coming up. Um, there's always going to be work available on bmbert.com. And that's kind of where I always point to everybody. All of my work is signed. My name's Brian Mathis Burt, but I sign everything B M B U R T and at bmbert.com. You can, on the Facebook and social or on Instagram. And I would basically tell anybody that's interested in my work or the techniques, go to Facebook. I do a live every Thursday. Every Thursday, I do a one hour demonstration where you can ask questions, type those in and, or just say hi. What time do you do it? What time? I'm sorry. Uh, They are at eight o'clock, but Anytime you can just get on the, on my website or on Facebook, 
you'll see the links for them. Excellent. Well, Brian, we really appreciate your in-depth talk here. Um, uh, it was a whole journey. I guess uh, Esther and I didn't have to ask anything about you because you had it all worked out in a Sorry. great interview. No, <laughs> no that's fantastic. It's so, it's a, it was so interesting. Thank you. Thank you so You're much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, that's Brian Burt. And uh, uh, I think a photorealistic artist, but I mean, a rep- it, it, his work is just phenomenal. You know, Check him out on his website and you can check out more. Brian, thank you so much for coming on Art on the Air. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. We'd like to thank our guests this week on Art on the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at WVLP.org, and every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, also streaming live at LakeshorePublicRadio.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio, and Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. We would like to thank our current supporters and underwriters, which include regional art patron Mary LeVan and Walt Brettinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art on the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event, or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com. Or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself through art, and show the world your heart.